I'm Gwyneth Paltrow, and you're listening to The Goop Podcast. Welcome, and thank you for tuning in today. This podcast is a real passion project for us at Goop. Twice a week, we sit down with a guest who has the potential to change the way we look at the world. You'll hear a lot from my chief content officer, Elise Lunin, who's incredibly curious and brilliant. And you'll hear from me, of course. Today, Elise is talking with Anna Machin. Anna Machin is an evolutionary anthropologist, broadcaster, and writer known for changing the conversation around fatherhood and family. Her work has had a huge impact on both men and women and how we think about gender and parenthood. In many ways, Anna is reimagining the role of the modern father. Her work allows us to explore what it means to be a family, to be social, to form long-lasting relationships. I think you're going to find Anna and Elise's conversation equal parts empowering and enlightening. We see the culture of fathering change because if that father has a son and that son sees dad's dad's in the domestic world, dad's sharing all these roles with mum, then when he has his own children, it's normal. That's how you parent. And so we see this cultural change. We'll turn to Elise and Anna in a minute. It's been estimated that billions of pounds of water are shipped around the world daily to bring us the traditional cleaning products that we've come to rely on. But Supernatural is working to change that. Supernatural is a new, sustainably driven home cleaning brand flipping the industry on its head. Their products are made with essential oils and plant-based ingredients. We're big fans of Supernatural at Goop and our readers are too. When we launched some Supernatural products on the Goop site, they sold out in a matter of hours. Here's how it works. Supernatural ships everything you need in their starter set. It comes with four reusable glass bottles and four home cleaning concentrates. All you have to do is add water. And all of their scents smell amazing, like you're bringing the best of the outdoors in. Go to supernatural.com and receive $10 off your first starter set using code GOOP10 at checkout. That's code GOOP10. Now, let's hear from Elise and Anna Machen. Thanks so much for being here. I know you started as an evolutionary anthropologist Mm -hmm. studying primates, and now you've sort of transitioned to more evolved apes, I guess. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Human relationships, and specifically fathers. Mm -hmm. And you wrote this incredible book, The Life of Dad, where you examine the role of fathers and assess whether it is far more primary then we typically make it as a culture. You know, obviously mothers are perceived as the primary caregiver. And that's slowly changing in the United States. And I would imagine here with more women who are major breadwinners and the roles are shifting. But I love the book because I think it's a celebration of how essential fathers are or father figures. Yeah. And let's, we'll talk about all of that. Yeah, yeah. It's not always biological. That's right. Yeah. So how did you, why the transition from the zoo to <laughs> See, the house? To human primates. <laughs> from the zoo, really, because I, I mean, I loved chasing monkeys. They are just the most fascinating thing to watch because they have their own soap operas. But I had children. And, you know, disappearing off to the jungle for months at a time is not really compatible with being a hands-on mum. So I changed and I changed to looking at humans and human evolution, in particular the evolution of of social and sexual behaviour in Mm -hmm. humans. So that was my PhD. And since then, I've basically been involved in 
answering the question, what is love? But mm. understanding it from an evolutionary point of view. And and within that, my, my passion is understanding fatherhood and the relationship that fathers build with their children. So... And it's incredible. It was it's fascinating, sort of the evolu- the how we've evolved, why fathers are so unique, mm. their specific role, and yep. then how that manifests in modern life. So, what sort of take us through briefly, like where where we came from uh-huh. and where we are now? Okay, so human fatherhood evolved about half a million years ago. So before we were actually Homo sapiens when mm-hmm. we were called Homo heidelbergensis, and. They had to step in, and they are rare. We're the only ape that has investing fathers, and only 5% of mammals have Mm. investing fathers. So it's a rare thing to evolve. And what I always tell dads to give them a bit of empowerment is to say, you're you're meant, you evolved. And evolution doesn't like throw its energy around in that way, so they evolve for a reason. And that reason was that human babies are incredibly dependent. Up until about half a million years ago, mum could cope with her female kin. So her aunts, her sisters, her mother helping her. But half a million years ago, our brains did a massive expansion again to where Mm. we are today. And she just didn't have the capability to care for incredibly dependent toddlers still who needed help. But also the fact that she was either pregnant or breastfeeding because no contraception. Mm. So dad had to step in really to protect the survival of the species. If, If we hadn't had that happen, then our line would have died out. Right. We wouldn't have been able to procreate. No, No, we would not have been able to replace the population. Right. So, you know, really, I mean, I start the book by saying, you know, dad saved the human race and they did. You know, without that evolving, we wouldn't be here today. And their role, actually, in terms of the absolute fundamental role is the same as it's always been. And it's these two pillars to protect and to teach. Mm. But how a father does that very much depends on the culture in which he exists, the environment in which he exists. Because what is necessary for that child's survival differs from society to society. And that's why we see amazing variability Mm -hmm. in fathering roles. But in the West, what's happening right now, which is brilliant, I think, is that because we've got women now working, so therefore both parents need to invest in their children, particularly here in the UK, the medical care after childbirth is minimal. Mm -hmm. It's even worse in the US. (laughs) So basically dad has to step in really quickly because there's no extended leave. And a lot of us live away from our extended families. So that that team that can help mum isn't there anymore. Mm -hmm. And that's meant dad has come to the forefront a little bit more. But also I think he's really starting to understand how important he is. And so we're at this, it's a moment of flux and of change. And I say it's quite a critical moment, which is why I wrote the book, because I want to get this out there into society, because we need to understand who we want dad to be. Mm -hmm. So we can either go forward with this idea of investing fathers, which have a huge benefit to the development of their children and to our society, or we kind of retreat back into the 1950s model and go, actually, this is too difficult. Right. Let's let's go back and you can just, you know, provide right. and be a little more distant. And I think that there's such an important distinction, and let's go into protection and teaching, but in an, a really important distinction between providing and protecting, mm. because I think providing is triggering for so many women who are like, I can do this myself yes. or I can stand on my own feet. We have so many single mothers who yep. are incredible at doing it all. But I like the idea of protection, not so much in the old fashioned way, but in this idea that sort of protecting the resources. Yeah. Even of of mothers. Yeah. And helping to create boundaries, just thinking about my own, my first child when he came my, I think my husband's experience was probably pretty common. We, I was induced. As we drove to the hospital, he said, you know, I don't, I'm worried I feel, will feel nothing. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? You might not. I don't know how I feel and we'll figure it out. 
And I was so tired after having Max that I completely passed out. Mm. And Rob stayed up all night making little videos and crying. I'm sure he'd love that I share this. Like (laughs) sucking the amniotic fluid out of Max's mouth and learning how to swaddle like through YouTube videos and the nurses. And we left and he was so empowered. Yes. And with sort of this like familial buffer. Yeah. I was just, I wasn't chilling, let's be real. But yeah, let's I was be realistic like, about this, but yeah. But he was so protective. Yeah. In a way that was very supportive. Exactly. And I think it's 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 a pretty instinctual thing. Even dads who say, oh my God, I didn't feel, you know, I think sometimes we think we should feel this absolutely cascade of flooding love. And yeah. a lot of parents don't when the baby first comes out. But what dads do tend to feel is this immediate protection. Mm-hmm. And it's actually protection of the mother as well. Mm-hmm. And... You know, that is that is innate in them. But also the protection goes beyond the physical. So when we, particularly in our society, it's a protection of that child going into the social world. So this really major role of mm. all fathers is to introduce their child to the wider world. Mm, so to turn their child's face to the world and go, this is the world and I'm going to give you the skill to succeed in it. And in some worlds that might be basic physical survival. Mm-hmm. But in our world, it's navigating the complex social and technological world we live in. And that is just a really key fathering role. And it, particularly, it's important, I think, where we are today. I mean, in the UK, I, I think probably in the US as well, we have a major crisis in teenage mental health. We know that fathers have more input, more influence on their children's healthy mental health than the mothers do. Interesting. And that is because they are there to build resilience to say, okay, life's going to be tough. It's going to knock you down. You're going to have challenges, but I'm going to teach you how to dust yourself off, get up and carry on. And that is key. And that's why I argue in the book, today more than ever, we need to empower fathers to be involved because as a society, we need them. Why are men or why are fathers so much, why are they better equipped for that particular skill, that teaching of resilience? We think it's probably just simply an evolutionary thing that in the environment in which we evolved, Mothers were very, very much tied to childcare. And in a world where you were literally either pregnant breastfeeding and had toddlers, it was actually dad's role in a way to take the older children out and take the older children out on the hunt, teach them the skills of the hunt, the skills of getting on with the social group so you can cooperate to hunt and to gather and all these sorts of things. So it's kind of always been there. Dad's role is the slightly older children. I mean, I'm not that much older. You know, we know looking at studies that fathers have a major influence on preschool children, mm-hmm. so three-year-olds. But because that's the first time that child leaves the home and goes into the world. Mm. And dad is there introducing them to it and making sure they have correct behaviours to cope with it and making sure they have the correct mental resilience to deal with it. Interesting. And do you feel like men, from an evolutionary standpoint, are less attached, like not attached, but are they better coaches in a sense? Are they better at that, managing that and not taking it so Personally? I think they are, but it's not it's it's not that they're less attached, their attachment is different. Mm-hmm. So we know from studying the attachment between the parents and the child, mum's attachment is very exclusive. It's very inward looking, it's very, very nurturing, and it's between that those two people. If you imagine like a mum enveloping a child. Mm-hmm. Whereas a father, he obviously can nurture, and you know, primary caring fathers are increasing, which is brilliant, but his is also based on challenge. Mm. So he's like, I am the secure base here. But you need to go out into the world. So I'm going to push you a little bit. I'm going to say, go away. Do this. I will always be here. You can come back to me. But I, will, I, I need to push you away a little bit. And I think dads, that's why their role is so critical in the social environment. Mm-hmm. Because they are the ones to actually just push that child a little bit and go, okay, you need to just 
be a little bit more independent. So you brought up the word critical. And I think there's this stereotype of this idea of sort of domineering, extremely judgmental fathers mm. in culture. So mm. this, I couldn't please my father, you know, this, this mythology yep. of sometimes really damaging relationships. So what's the line? Like, what's the line there? It's not about being domineering. It's not about being dominating. I think, you know, I've, I've interviewed many, many fathers who are very into pushing developmental boundaries and very into introducing their children to appropriate levels of risk, which is something mm -hmm. we need to do. But they do it from a place of real love. Mm -hmm. So it's not domineering and it's not bullying, but it's about just very gently initially introducing the child and in a way saying to them, you're okay. Mm -hmm. You can do this. I got your back. You can come back and we can hug. But just go and give it a go. And that's that's how they do it. That's how modern fathers, particularly the ones who are very hands-on, do it. Mm -hmm. And in a way, you don't even realise they're doing it. But if you watch, there's always just that little bit, little bit of a, an extra little push to just yeah. go and, and do that. And is the key, and I know you talk a little bit about some of these studies in the book, but the key sort of a, a responsiveness or sensitivity to the child. So rather than... There's an incredible passage about how children whose parents or fathers specifically are, are not trained on academic achievement mm. typically achieve better academically. Yes. So is that also part of it, the sort of extreme attainment to the temperament of your child? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, really, I mean, that's what I always say to, to fathers is quite often dads will say to me, you know, just what, what's the most important thing I can do? And it is get to know your child. Mm -hmm. So there's not one rule. Get to know your child, really tune into who they are, you know, build up a real empathy with them. Mm -hmm. And then you will understand what, what their limits are and the particular way they need to be taught. Yeah. And that's really, really important so that you do it appropriately. So you're appropriately assertive, appropriately, you know, pushing. Because yeah. some kids, you know, I know as a mum from my two children, my eldest daughter, I can push in a certain way. My youngest one, if I did it in the same way, she would just kick off. It, yeah. We would get nowhere. And it's that kind of thing. It's it's knowing who your child is. But that's one of the most important things any parent can do is, yeah. and, you know, the major thing is put down the iPhone, put down the iPad, really tune into who your child is. And become... And lose the attachment. Because I think so many of us, you know, parenthood is, creates a crisis and a little a crisis because you sort of almost have flashbacks of how mm. you were parented. And even if you had the most incredible parents, there's always baggage, right? Yeah. So, you know, and it's interesting watching Rob parent and be a father because his dad was very, very strict. Mm. And I can see him, that sort of vacillation and projection and sort of fear Yes. And then needing having to like walk away from that. Yeah. If that makes sense. And and also understanding the difference between nature and nurture because our two boys could not be more different. Mm. Which I think is also fascinating. I don't know if it's just birth order or there are so many things that underpin who somebody is. Yeah. Um, you know, there's there's birth order. There is just the genetic underpinnings of certain aspects of personality and behavior. There is, you know, we do, we think we treat them the same, but we don't. We right. just don't. And it's all those different things coming in. But, you know, yes, yeah, to a certain extent, babies come out with a character. Right. And then you slowly, you know, and then you act, react to that character and, and, and something builds. So, yeah, it's so complicated what makes somebody who they are. Yeah. This is going in such a goopy direction. But <laughs> it's been helpful for me as a parent to sort of stick with this idea of that, our, that souls choose us mm. and that 
you know, our kids have chosen have chosen us. And mm. in some way that separation, yeah. that, like we didn't we might have created this child, yeah. but like we didn't is Absolutely. really helpful. Absolutely. I and think. I think it's really important to see children as individuals. Mm-hmm. You know, they are not just the mini product of you. Right. They they bring something different and something that's just special to them too. And I'm I'm also very aware with my children that, you know, that your children are individuals. Right. And, you know, they aren't just you in mini form. Exactly. So teaching. So that, and that's, I guess, pushing your child out into the world. And it also seems to be about play. Do you think fathers are just, that's how it is in my relationship. But is that typical? Completely. In the West, it's typical. So if we talk about Western fathers, the major way they build their bond, particularly with their younger children, is what we call, is a particular form of play called rough and tumble. And I think everyone can recognise this. You see, you see the way a dad plays with a, a kid in the park. They're throwing them around, they're wrestling, there's lots of giggling, there's screaming, you know, it's getting completely out of hand. That is rough and tumble play and it is critically important, both to that child's development, but also to the bond the father's building because mums get a, a head start. We give birth, so we get floods of bonding hormones when we give birth. If we breastfeed, again, they're still there. Dads don't get that. And so the only way they can build a bond with their child is by interaction. Mm-hmm. And so for the first six months, that's really tough, actually, because little tiny babies don't do a hell of a lot, and they certainly don't give you much back. So I know, particularly with a lot of my fathers, those first few months can be quite tough because they feel that then they haven't got the bond that the mum's got, and they haven't got the bond they thought they would have. Mm-hmm. But at six months, it's like an amazing thing happens. When the baby starts to developmentally be capable of really responding, giggling, starting to move around, that's when this play begins. And it's critical in the West because we still have a society where dads are away from the home a lot. Mm-hmm. They're quite time poor. So the reason why rough and tumble play works very well is it's very fast, and it absolutely ramps up the bonding hormone. So beta endorphin, oxytocin, dopamine are literally coursing through the child and father's minds and brains. And so it does it very, very quickly. And also because it's so fast moving, you have to get to know each other really fast. Mm-hmm. Because to have a good play bout, you have to know how to respond. You have to know what someone's boundaries are. You have to know what their personality is. Oh, that's a bit far. I've pushed you. That's no fun. That's not fun anymore. And so it's it's brilliant in our time poor world that, that we do it. And we see it again and again and again. And Sometimes dads get called the fun parent, mm-hmm. but they're supposed to be in a way. That's that. That's a really critical behaviour we want we want to see between fathers and children. So they're inherently naturally better at it. They are not well. Yeah, they're more pushed to do it. But what's absolutely amazing is dad has a preference for playing with his child, and the child has a preference for playing with him. We see it in the brain. So. If you look at a dad's brain, you look at the activity, particularly in the reward centres of the brain, and you look at it when he's nurturing. Okay, he's getting some reward. This is fine. But if you look at it when he's actually playing with his child, it's so much more active. He gets so much more reward chemical, dopamine, oxytocin, bonding chemical going on. So he gets a peak from playing. And the kid, if you look at the kid's brain, again, gets a peak in playing from dad. Mm. Doesn't get the same peak from mum. So that's why children tend to seek out their fathers to play, because that's where they get the biggest reward. Yeah, this is very reassuring. You know, I have to say, because I'm always like, God, that does not look fun. No, I don't want to do it. And I don't want to get down on the ground. No, but it's the reason why most kids seek out their mum to nurture, because mum and the kid get a peak in nurturing from each between each other. So that's why you always run to mummy when you've fallen over. Right. You know. So what are there men who feel like none of this feels natural or Mm. none of this is enticing? Yes, there are. And, you know, there's very individual differences in in fathering behavior. Mm-hmm. So some of it is down to the experience they had with their own father. Mm-hmm. 
some of it is down to the hormones. So we know that men with lower testosterone are more sensitive fathers and are more responsive. The higher your testosterone is, the less responsive you are to a child's needs, the less you are able to empathise with them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some of it is, is down to genetics. You know, right. you might have lower circulating oxytocin. So, again, you are less inclined to have that kind of nurturing, caring aspect to your personality. So there's lots of different things that, that, that come into whether you want to be a dad whether you are, you know, involved with your child. And then there's loads and loads of cultural influences. I mean, dads, in a way, are restricted a lot by our culture, mm-hmm. by what is an acceptable way to father, what we think a father should be. Right. One second, we'll be right back. The Goop brand was built in part to explore how we can make choices that better align with our values and the lives we're leading. For us, this can include which creams, oils, and fragrances we use on our faces and bodies, and it also extends to the products we use to clean up at home. Conventional cleaners can be loaded with toxic chemicals. Many come in packaging that's wasteful, and I don't think they often smell all that good. There's a cloying characteristic to a lot of cleaning products. But Supernatural is changing that. Their sustainable, effective home cleaning concentrates are disrupting the industry in a good way. Supernatural has combined ancient plant wisdom with modern science to create formulas that are made from some of nature's most powerful cleaning ingredients. And they smell great. Supernatural blends bring the best of nature's fragrances into your home, so we can all say goodbye to those cloying, synthetic scents. Supernatural is as effective as you expect and need cleaning products to be. And it's also super sustainable, which we love. You can get $10 off the Supernatural starter set by using code GOOP10 on Supernatural.com. That's code GOOP10. I love getting to talk with and learn from female executives at other brands. And I recently got to chat with Jamie Gersh, who is Senior Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer at Old Navy. We hit it off pretty instantly. Jamie has spent 17 years working at Gap and Old Navy, so she's a veteran in the industry. I was particularly excited to talk with Jamie, though, because Old Navy has an incredible track record when it comes to the number of women who make up their workforce and the number of women who serve in leadership positions. Working at Goop, where this is also true, although obviously on a much smaller scale than Old Navy, I think about this a lot. How can we better support women and moms throughout their careers How can we get more women into positions of power? I learned a lot from Jamie in a short amount of time. And over the course of a few episodes, I'm going to share some of my favorite parts of our conversation. Here's today's soundbite with Old Navy CMO, Jamie Gersh. Where do you feel, both in the fashion industry in general or even in the wider work space, um, and at Old Navy, like where, where do you feel like the most work needs to be done in terms of making it not only possible for women to stay in work, but sort of more essential and more connected to their their purpose and being. Yeah, I think, you know, again, we're fortunate that we work in a company that lives and breathes this. But again, no one is perfect. And I think we are constantly working to make sure that we do reflect what we believe. And so whether it's through our work around pay equality, and, you know, I love that more companies are putting that front and center in terms of making sure it's a priority to look at what are the pay differences look like and how do we get to pay equality. You know, I'm proud to report that Gap Inc. was the first Fortune 
Fortune 500 company to validate that we had equal pay back in 2014, and we continue to do that till this day. But you know, there are areas like unconscious bias that we really have just put into place, and these programs that we are really encouraging all of the organization to go through because a lot of the bias is truly unconscious, and people don't really realize that it's happening. Mm-hmm. So how do we put programs in place that really help people understand how to interview equally, how to treat people equally, whether it's on the basis of gender, age, race, etc. It really has become an important value. And this idea of unconscious bias is catching on in the industry, both fashion and outside. And I'm really proud to, to see that happen because I think the more people can understand that this unconscious bias exists in the world and just recognize it and say, how do we stop that piece of it, the better off we're all going to be. I mean, it absolutely. And I think that it's exactly that it is so unconscious and people don't, as soon as you're aware of the problem or the tendency, then you can override it. But I think that a lot of us don't, aren't aware of what we're not aware of, right? Not to state that's right. Totally obvious fact, but until you can identify it, you can't solve it. And people have actually, we've found that the teams love the the program and love being put through the training because it really helps them open their eyes to what is going on and why things happen and really helps turn and just puts more thought into how everyone acts every day, which has really helped. All right, let's get back to Elise and Anna. It's interesting you mentioned wanting to be a father, but I don't know many. I mean, I know a lot of amazing fathers who are obsessed with their children, but it's rare to find a guy who is super jazzed about the prospect of becoming (laughs) a dad, which I think, I think most of them just sort of not submit, but I think that that's rare. Is that just not something that exists? Yeah. I always ask dads in my studies why you wanted to be a father. And I would say a lot of them, the answer is either my partner wanted a baby or it's that kind of stage of life. That's what you do. Yeah. But there are some who absolutely will say to you, I've wanted to have kids since I was 10. Right. And it's known as baby lust. And we see it a lot in mums, but actually you see it to a reasonable level in fathers. And it's just the drive. You've always wanted to have children. And then you get the men who say, I want to right the wrongs of my father. Mm. I want to do this because I want to do it right because my dad did it wrong. And I'm, it's probably very therapeutic to do it right. Yeah, exactly. And exactly. So in terms of single mothers mm. and fathers who are gone, is there a biological, is it because they don't ever have a chance? I mean, I know there are like a million factors, so yeah. we're putting those aside. But the, but I think for a lot of women, it's inconceivable to not parent your yes. child. Yes. So is it that that lack of hormonal connection in the early days that makes it easier? I know that's kind of a... It's really leap. hard to say. And I must admit, you know, I, I very much study fathers within the context of being in a family, either a gay family or a heterosexual family. So I'm not a specialist in, in single mothers or indeed fathers who leave. In a way, I did that on purpose because there's a lot written on fathers who leave. It's a major, you know, it can be that you did not have the life model from your own father. You don't know how to parent. You don't know what a good parent is. It can be that, yes, you don't have the hormonal and genetic underpinnings that make you crave and make you want to stick around it can also be that your life is just really hard yeah and it can be sometimes that that things like the judicial system or whatever is is stacked against you in terms of having access Mm -hmm. so it there are lots of different reasons why a father might leave i'm hoping with the book that even men who are because 
I always get quite riled up when people refer to to absent fathers. Even if you're divorced, it doesn't mean you're absent. Right. You still see your child. You just happen not to live in the same house as them. And there's a lot of fathers who are there and they're 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 hands on and they just have a different form of family. Right. And so, you know, I think we need to be careful about thinking that divorced father equals absent father because it doesn't necessarily. But I just think, you know, we are in a system where it can be hard for fathers to step up. And I'm hoping the book will empower dads to realise how important they are, Mm -hmm. that it's not about necessarily living with your child. It's also not about being the biological father. Right. It's about stepping up and doing the job. So let's talk about single mothers. And there are a ton of them in the United States. I'm assuming there are a ton of them Mm -hmm. in the UK. How do you fill the gap? So there's several things to say about that. First of all, what we tend to find with single mothers is generally their children, it's not that they have a complete absence of a father figure. So as I make clear in the book, a father is not necessarily the person who conceived you. It's whoever steps up and does the job. And so what we tend to see with single mothers is that there is either like a significant other male in that child's life, could be a grandfather, an uncle, a best friend, a boyfriend, or they have teens Mm -hmm. who play different roles in that child's life. And we see that very powerfully. And we see it in lots of cultures. So it's a big thing in South Africa, for example, for a child to have a team of fathers. So there's that. Also, I don't study single mothers, but certainly what we see in gay fathers, where arguably there isn't a mother, Mm -hmm. is we see an alteration in the brain. So the the gay primary caretaking father's brain adapts so he fulfills the mum's role and the dad's role. And we see an actual change. That's so cool. So... I would hypothesize, I don't study mothers, that probably a similar thing happens in single mothers. So they can still fulfill the entire developmental environment that that child needs. That is so cool. Yeah. Humans are amazing. They are. Let's talk about biology because I think it's it's really interesting. And I know, I think men have been minimized in part because it's like, oh, well, you just donated some sperm, yeah. right? But adoption gay parents Mm -hmm. who weren't able, you know, two men Mm -hmm. or even stepdads or boyfriends. I my belief, having birthed two children myself, but seeing them as completely distinct entities, I and I have many friends who have adopted Mm -hmm. both gay parents and straight parents who couldn't conceive or wanted to adopt. Mm. And I can't, I I definitely don't think that pregnancy made me a mother. Yes. Yeah. Is that a fair statement? I think it's a fair statement. I think, in a way, because of the fact that pregnancy does come with its own set of hormones, in a way, it prepares you more to be a parent than it obviously prepares a father to be a parent. But no, I think, you know, a parent is the person who's there. Yeah. Doing the job, getting up every morning, preparing, you know, the packed lunch, sending the kid to school, being there to, to, to hold their hand through the world. That's what being a parent is, and particularly, you know, with fathers. And we have, particularly in the West, we have this obsession with biological parenthood, which is actually, if you look at parenting around the world, a little bit bizarre. Mm -hmm. Because if we look around the world, particularly with fathers, in many cultures, the biological father is not the primary father. It's Mm -hmm. it's what we call a social father. Somebody else actually steps up and takes that role. So... You know, and actually, if we look at the way families are now in our modern world, you know, in many, many families, one of the parents isn't biological age. Either they're a step, as you say, or they're adoptive, or, you know, they've had to use sperm donation or whatever it might be. There are many situations. And the great power of the human species is we are the only human, we are the only species that can actually regularly do adoption. Mm-hmm. Because human children 
will attach and we are capable of attaching to a child that's not biologically ours. In the same way. In the same way. To the Completely same, the same extent. Way, to the same extent. And that that is makes us unique. Yeah. Because we are the only species that can do it. It is. It's such a fascinating and like a profound idea. Yeah. And sort of that chasm, like how much does the gen- I mean, how does the genetics matter at all? I would say very little, yeah. actually. It might give you an initial. What we see, we see sort of a, particularly there was a guy called Turner in the 70s who described like the bonding process of fathers as when, when the baby's born, you have a, a connection which is, is based on your genetic connection. So you go, okay, this is my baby. Mm-hmm. And therefore I should feel something. So I'm feeling something. We have, a, But actually the real profound attachment comes months later right and that's the real attachment so you might get a little kickstart because we are genetically related and okay yes i can see you've got my nose or whatever right. it might be but it's tiny compared to the absolute profound attachment you will get once you know your baby yeah it's just completely different i think one of the most fascinating things is how and i know it's biological but how babies look like their fathers <laughs> and then slowly more as that like connected they, they change throughout their life i mean if yeah. i look at my own children sometimes they look more like me sometimes they look more like my husband yeah i just think it's a constant roller coaster of yeah and i think a lot of couples are extremely narcissistic so oh, everyone yeah. just looks, you just want to see it <laughs> yeah exactly or you, but you also tend to like i have so many friends and i look at them and i'm like you guys married the female or male version of yourselves like the it's everyone's identical it's kind of amazing so if you were to sort of coach or prepare a young father or someone who's about to become a father where do you think like where do you where would you focus their attention in terms of success i would first of all tell them just to be empowered by the idea that you are meant that you you evolve for a reason, and that reason is as strong today as it's always been. That you are as important to that child as the mother is. So don't don't feel like the secondary parent. I think sometimes fathers, particularly because of the birth process, feel like the bag carrier. Mm-hmm. But actually, you are up there. You know, you are both having a child. You are a co-parent. So be empowered by that. Be empowered that actually, fathering is instinctive, mm-hmm. as instinctive as mothering. We've always th- again thought that dads had to learn. No, you are hormonally primed parent so we see lots of changes in your hormones you know your brain changes before you have a child so you are as biologically there as as a mum is so be empowered by that be aware of what might be tricky really discuss with your partner what you want your role to be during the birth because i think sometimes men feel a little bit left out mm-hmm. talk to them about how you're going to be involved in those early months when baby might be very mummy focused and also be aware of that possible delay in bonding. Don't panic. A lot of fathers get panicked and then their mental health suffers because they feel that their baby doesn't love them, that they don't feel this flood of love. So just be aware. And ultimately just know how important you are in terms of preparing your child and helping your child to grow. Mm-hmm. You know, you have a unique role. You are not just like a, a, a male mum. There's something special about you. Yeah, I love that. And I think it's it has, and I would argue, particularly in the United States, we don't have paid family leave like there are a lot of te- we're terrible at supporting mm. families we're terrible at supporting women it creates a crisis there's a pay gap women are not supported and able to go back to work so we don't have good affordable and accessible childcare so there's like a domino effect and so but it's interesting because as much as i think we all need to spend way more energy and attention on mothers mm-hmm. by 
also focusing on fathers, there has to be a knock-on effect that's positive for women, even though it seems like a strange place yeah. to Absolutely. focus. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and there is. You know, if we can empower fathers to be more involved at home in terms of caring, in terms of domestic work, then that frees women up to return to work earlier, mm -hmm. to not have that tax on their careers to quite the same extent of being a parent. And also it starts to close that gender pay gap because you have not been out of the of the workplace for as long. Mm -hmm. And and we know that, you know, here in the UK, we're starting to become a little bit better. So we have shared parental leave where fathers can also take paid leave. It's not financially supported as well as mothers. But what we find is if fathers do that, then again, yeah, mum goes back to work earlier. So that doesn't affect her as well. But then we see an actual change in generations. We see the culture of fathering change because if that father has a son and that son sees dad's, dad's in the domestic world, dad's sharing all these roles with mum, then when he has his own children, it's normal. That's how you parent. Yeah. And so we see this cultural change and it's very powerful. And we see it in countries such as Sweden and Finland who are way ahead of us. Yeah. My advice to new moms is always sort of an over-empowerment or over-reliance on men in those early days, mm -hmm. sort of forcing them. You know, my a good friend of mine is a TV writer who's become incredibly successful. She's, I don't know if Glow yes. has made yeah. it to yeah. the UK. She's, she's incredible. And her husband is also a screenwriter. And after the birth of their first child, she was working on Nurse Jackie and she had to go. She had to leave like two weeks after, mm -hmm. which is obviously not ideal. But she had to go to the writer's room for like a week. And she said she had her child before me. She was like, it's the best thing that ever happened yeah. because Jeff was incredibly confident. And so I thought about that. And now I'm a huge I benefit from that hugely. I mean, here I am in the UK. My husband's at home with our two kids. Yeah getting them to school, putting them to bed, and having an amazing time. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, maybe I say this to make myself feel better, but I think we both agree that one-on-one -on -one time when the other is out of town is some of the best. Because you're also not like, who's yeah. going to do this? Are you getting out of bed? Am I getting out of bed? Like, who's changing the diaper? Exactly. And it's and it's that mindset that there are, you, you both parent and you, you're both equally capable of that. And I think it's amazingly powerful for men to become really competent parents, to feel like, I can do this, I've got this. Mm -hmm. And not always seem like they're like second to mom and mom has to leave a list of instructions as to what to do. Totally. You know, you are just as much a parent and you, you can do this. Totally. Thanks for joining Elise's conversation with Anna Machin. To learn more about Anna's work, head to annamachin.com and check out her book, the life of dad. Again, we're so grateful that you tuned in to the Goop podcast today, and we hope you'll be back soon. We have a new episode coming on Thursday. As always, we'd love to know what you think. So please rate and review, share with a friend and hit subscribe. Head to goop.com slash the podcast for more info.